Thank you, Maji, for being here and presenting today. And it's all yours. And I'd like, again, to introduce you to Maji Graziano. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure working with you and your emerging leaders. I think it's been fun. We just completed last week. And today we're going to talk about synthesize. And that's really about getting the business ready for what's next, whether it is growing it, selling it, moving to the next generation. That's what the conversation is going to be about. So I want to tell you about Ted. Ted Green is about 72 years old. Ted has been the president and CEO of a distribution company for the last 25 years. He bought the company from the previous owners and he took it and ran with it. And he ran with it by acquisition, buying other companies, buying other companies, buying other companies. Well, he reached out to me last year at this time, almost the same week and said, Maji, I'm in trouble. I tried to retire. I hired a new president. Everything was working great. He was perfect. He had the right resume. He had the right background. He had awesome references. However, after seven months, the majority of my executive team wanted to leave and 50% of my management team wanted to leave and I had to leave retirement and come back. I'm in trouble and I was referred to you as somebody who can help. So what Ted did right is he chose to retire at an age that worked for him and his wife. What Ted did not do right is he never paid attention to the side of the business that was not practical to him. Ted's a bottom line person. He's about the money. He's about revenue. He's about acquisition. He's about profitability. He's about customer experience, but he never looked. He never looked at the people side of the business. He never looked at the succession plan. As a matter of fact, they have 800 full-time employees and no succession plan. He never looked at the hiring process to make sure that they were hiring the kind of people that could move into leadership. So Ted was stuck in a position where he was retired and he had to come back. And he just retired for the second time two and a half weeks ago. And throughout this presentation, I'm going to talk about Ted and about the things that Ted had to pay attention to and about the things that you want to pay attention to so that you can build a sustainable organization that gives you the freedom that you intended when you started it. Let's look at you. Let's look at your organization. Do you have a plan? Do you have an escape route? And the first thing you want to look at it is how will your business be valued? It's going to be valued. Now you can Google, you're going to find different, different things like the business model, the customer split, the culture, the risk. But what is your business model? And is it 100% contingent on you or three or four other people? And if something happens to a key person, will the business sustain? So in Ted's situation, there was two key players in that organization, Ted, CEO, and Jim, head of sales. Jim was the Pied Piper. Everybody that Jim would attract came because of Jim. 
But Jim didn't really believe in processes or policies or checklists. So all these people joined the organization, about 580, but they have no job descriptions. They have no key performance indicators. So every time they acquire a new business, they have a cluster, you know what? So the business model is very important and is it understandable and is it sustainable and is it replicatable and is it easy to bring people in to the business model? What's the customer breakdown? What's the customer split? Do you have 80% of your business with five customers or do you have a healthy and even split? Kind of the same things you would say to your customers if you were helping them position for sale. What's the culture and is it grounded in values? And can you, could you hire based on that culture? Could you train based on that culture? And is it easy to bring people into that culture? And will the culture sustain, sustain without you being in charge? And what's the risk factors of somebody taking your business on? What are they going to have to deal with? So risk can be divided into two different sectors. There's the qualitative and there's the quantitative. Qualitative is how people feel, what they see, what they hear, what the Q&A could be, what kind of personalities are there? What's the group like? What's the interaction like? How, how good is performance in what you see? And quantitative is, you know, the numbers, the data, the facts, but people are going to look at both. Now, used to be that if the numbers were high, and the profit and the EBITDA were high, companies just gonna buy you. Well, that's becoming very risky right now because we know that I can buy a company and 60 days later, if I don't treat those people right, they're all gone. Because people can go anywhere these days and do just about anything. So what's the exit strategy for you? Do you have one? What's your customer dependency? Do you have a succession plan? Is there a way, a pathway for people to go from where they are to the next level? Is it in writing? Is, is it understood by everyone? And who's on your management team? Are the cast of characters the right people? So I want to go back to Ted Green. So Ted has an executive team. And on this executive team, he says to the new president, well, you might not have all the right people in the right jobs. We have a CFO, but he's really more like a controller. <clears throat> we have a kick butt VP of sales, but he's not very strategic. He's strategic when it comes to acquisition, but he doesn't like the detail. So we got to deal with that. So they've got two out of seven people that the new president has to figure out what's he going to do. They have a COO who focuses on logistics but he doesn't really understand safety. He doesn't really understand HR. He doesn't really understand how to take operational process and bring it down to every level in the organization. So that's what there is to do. And we'd have to probably spend six weeks with you to go over everything, but it's the big pieces. So if you're not sure you have a good succession plan, ask your management trainees. Ask the up-and-coming people in the organization. And then let's segue to what's the inspiring future you're living into. You see, Ted never had a future he was living into beyond 
He never had an inspiring future that he was living into beyond building the business. He wasn't thinking about time with his grandkids. He probably never even was thinking about being 72. He wasn't thinking about when he left the organization, how the organization would be left. The one thing he said to the president on his first day is, do not make the same mistakes I made. Do not put the business ahead of your family. Do not leave out the plan for the day you exit. So Ted didn't create an inspiring future. You can create an, expire, an, ex, an inspiring future. And then I look at my own life. I look at when I owned a staffing and recruiting company, the only thing I saw was staffing and recruiting. And when people would say, well, what's your plan for 20 years from now? It would be my plan for just a better mousetrap for that staffing business. But when I made the choice that I was gonna move to Northern California and I was gonna help companies work on culture, my aperture opened amazingly wide and I saw things I hadn't seen before. I saw that in order to create help other companies create culture, I needed to have a culture. That if I wanted to teach other companies how to hire, I needed to be better at hiring. That if I wanted to help companies build organizations that worked without them, then my organization needed to work without me. But it was no longer a burden for me because I had that vision of the future. So what's your vision? If I could put you in breakout rooms, I would, but we don't have time because it's a one-hour talk. But write it down. What does it look like for you when you've arrived? What is your exit plan? And will it get you where you're going? Will the exit plan get you where you want to be? Will it get you to Machu Picchu? Will it get you to the, to the ocean? Will it get you to being with your grandkids? What's going to be important to you then and what's important to you now? And once you get in touch with what's important to you, you can create a best-in-breed organization that will be valuable to someone else, whether you sell it to someone outright or whether you're like Ted and you create an ESOP and the employees buy the company from you. What will make it valuable to them? So once you know where you want to go and you know what you need to take care of, both from a customer standpoint, from a business model standpoint, from an employee, from an organizational development standpoint, you want to look at what's in the unknown. What causes you fear, uncertainty, and doubt? What's the FUD in your organization? And if you're not close enough to it, if you're not clear, ask your people. Ask your emerging leaders. Ask the last partner that you promoted. What's uncertain for you? What are you afraid of? Where's the doubt? What's missing the presence of which would make a difference? Because in fear, people will not step into risk. In fear, people will stop taking risks. In fear, they will be paralyzed 
by what they don't know and they don't even know that they don't know. And if we just think about what COVID-19 has brought to all of our organizations is people are in a low-grade amygdala hijack every day. So you might be saying, amygdala, what? What's that? The amygdala is a almond-shaped organ in our brain. It's behind our prefrontal cortex, which is our executive brain. When the amygdala is triggered, our brain tells us that we are under attack by an unknown source. Back in the good old days, it would have been a saber-toothed tiger, but now it could be COVID's coming to get us. A pandemic is going to wipe our business out. Same company, Ted. They got some serious challenges in their culture. They created all these wonderful values after I came on board with them. They said, we have all these values. Everybody gets these values. Well, they have a policy. No socializing with people during COVID. Well, one of their top, top performing branches, branch manager decides he's going to have a football party. He invites 12 of his best friends at work over. They all came back to work two days later. And every one of them had COVID and they infected 30 people in the branch. They had to shut that branch down for a month. No revenue because there was something missing in the culture. So fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We have people that are afraid of what's happening with COVID, but it's not just the pandemic. It's the repercussions of the pandemic. So when our body is anxious, when we are nervous, adrenaline and cortisol shoots out to our thinking brain and blocks our thinking. It blocks our ability to communicate, which is not good. Blocks our ability to do critical thinking. So fear, uncertainty, and doubt is a bad thing in your business. In the absence of information, people make things up. They'll make up ways to do things. They'll bifurcate a process. They'll skip a process, say, I didn't know. But maybe they did know, but they forgot. And that will hurt your organization. That'll hurt your reputation. It'll hurt your net promoter score. So scalability and sustainability. What does that mean? It means that you have an understanding of your customer base. And you understand how you want to grow your customer base. You understand your foot in the door with new people. Maybe you're doing audits. I just signed up for a CPA firm, one of those external CPA firms, to come in and audit my books. I think they charged me $2,500. No skin off my back. They're going to come in and they made me a big list of everything that was wrong. Really good entry point for their business model. Low risk on the customer side. What's the culture? Is the culture sustainable? Is the culture something people say, oh, I just graduated college and I want to go work for you. Uh, we have, uh, I, I speak a lot for this group called Vistage. And one of the Vistage members has invested millions in his culture over 10 years. And he said, people come to us because they heard about us and heard about us through someone else because our culture, our employee value proposition is first in the business. Can you leverage your organization to do that? What are your key processes that are proprietary to you, to your firm? And does everyone in the organization know what those processes are? Do they follow those processes? Do they appreciate those processes? Can they articulate those processes to new and existing customers and to new people? And of course, bottom line, 
are you profitable and what's the profit and how do you keep moving that forward? So let's look at what makes a smart and healthy company. Patrick Lincioni, his most recent book is called The Advantage. And it's the, it's, it's the framework that my company uses when we do strategic planning. There's the smart organization. Yes, we have great marketing. We have great finances. Our people are the brightest and the best. We have systems and processes. And then there's the healthy organization. A healthy organization has low turnover. 90% of the new people make it and they make it and they produce. There's minimal politics, minimal posturing for position, minimal favoritism, minimal confusion, high productivity, high morale. People want to be there. What, what I define as a healthy organizational culture is four traits. Affiliative, people feel like they can go to each other and ask questions. Humanistic, we care about how people feel, about what's impacting people. We get to know our people at a personal level. High achievement, people know what to produce and they know they need to produce. They understand billable hours, they understand net promoter, and they want to achieve. And if it's a promotion, if your, your succession plan is level one, level two, level three, they see themselves in level three. Or they see themselves in level one and they're happy there. But they see it, they feel it, they know what accomplishment looks like. Everybody has key performance indicators and they're measured against that. That's high achievement. And fourth is self-actualization. They feel their purpose is being met by working with you. That's a constructive organizational culture. So when we look at smart and healthy, that's what's important. It's both sides of the equation. I want to talk also about smart and healthy. Smart comes from our left hemisphere. And I don't know on video if you're seeing the, my, you know, my opposite, but left hemisphere. We all have two sides of our brain. The left side of our brain is where our critical analytical, sequencing, organization, mathematics, accounting, finance, all of it comes from the left part of the brain. The right part of the brain is where healthy organization, cohesion, collaboration, innovation, empathy, guiding, coaching, mentoring people, all of that comes from the opposite side of the brain. So in a healthy organization, our job as the leader is to create cohesion. Our job as the leader is to call out behavior that doesn't work. Our job as the leader is to create clarity and synchronicity for people so they know here's what excellent performance looks like. Here's what winning looks like and here's what I need from you to do. Here's what the organization needs from you. It's our job as the leader of a healthy organization to over communicate. People need to hear things seven times before they commit it to memory. Seven times are we doing that? Especially with people working remote, we have to have more meetings, more connection, because people are getting disconnected from the organization, and they're flooded with all the news and all the fear, and their amygdala's going haywire, and they're not thinking about what they need to be thinking about. So it's your job, our job, to intervene. 
The last is this role clarity. People need to know what my job is, what my span of influence is, what my span of control is, and how I personally move the organization forward. So it's about left and right hemisphere integration. I'm going to put my clicker down. It is about linking both sides of your brain, leaning left, leaning right, making sure we are operating. If you're flying a plane, you're flying with both sides of the engine, both engines, right and left hemisphere, smart, healthy, smart, healthy, smart, healthy. And things that, like I said, from the right hemisphere, it's collaboration, it's meetings, how meetings are run. It's how well we bring people into the fold, how curious we are with our team, how curious we are with what our organization needs and what's working and not. Our left hemisphere will help us solve the problems. But if our right hemisphere doesn't ask the right questions, we'll never know. So part of you as being a leader in your firm is learning from seminars like this, it's reading books. I've got a couple of great recommendations like What Got You Here, Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. It's all about elevating your leadership. The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, How to Create a Smart and Healthy Organization. Coming to workshops like the Emerging Leaders Program or the Mastery Training Program and being involved in this group. There's people that I met with from this group who said they have friendships that they've had for 20 years because of their involvement with the organization. So it's about building your tribe. It's about meeting people outside of your firm. It's about connecting with people at a personal level and saying, hey, this is what I got going on in my firm and I don't think it's working. What's going on in your firm? Creating a buddy system, somebody you can roll things off of. Cultivating friendships with people from other organizations, people in the industry. As you're a young and upcoming professional, you will go through 50 stages of development before you're 60 years old. And anybody who's 60 can tell you maybe it's 100 stages of development. It's always changing. If you connect with others and if you cultivate this tribal knowledge, you'll be able to learn much faster and you can learn through other people's mistakes. So that's what leveraging the collective intelligence is about. I think I counted 70 people on this call. Imagine if you can get into a breakout room with 10 or 20 people every time you're on one of these calls and you can leverage the collective intelligence. What we found with our Emerging Leaders Program is as we put people into groups, we made sure that there was enough variety. And sometimes people were in groups with people in their own organizations, and sometimes they were in groups with people in and other organizations. But when I share my perspective and Alberto shares his and Yvonne shares hers and Nancy shares hers and Nick shares his, we can start to get information that we wouldn't have got if we left it up to ourselves. And by the way, going at it alone is a lonely, arduous, not so good process, not so fun. So leadership effectiveness is really about you declaring who you are going to be as a leader, who you want to be as a leader, who you want to be known as as a leader, and sharing that with everybody in your organization. 
but especially sharing it with yourself. So I want to talk about Ted again, but I want to talk about his successor, Keith. So Ted is 72 years old. He hired a 40 as of today year old successor, 30 years difference. When Keith started the job as the president, his first line of duty was to create, they hired me to be his coach because I was doing the organizational development and it made sense. So I said, What's, what is the first thing you want people to know about you? And he said, I want people to know what they can count on me for. So he created a statement, who I am as a leader is. And then he got on live video like this and sent it out to the 800 employees. Let's fast forward to yesterday. Keith has been struggling in the executive meetings because he says they go on and on, they never get anything accomplished, and it's a complete you know, buzz kill every time he does an executive session. He said, Maji, please listen to what happens in the executive meeting. Don't say a word, but give me feedback. So I listened to a three-hour meeting that was supposed to be setting the budget for 2021. And for three hours, eight executives haggled over numbers for 26 branches. It was like a college study group. It was exasperating. It was boring. I could tell Keith had a mask on, but I could tell he was going absolutely crazy. I documented nine different points in that meeting that the meeting fell off the rails. And I documented who said what and who did what. So I got him on the phone after the meeting yesterday and I said, Keith, before I give you feedback, I want you to tell me who you are as a leader. And he read who he was as a leader. He read it to me and I said, now say it again like you mean it. And then he generated who he was as a leader. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, rate your meeting as compared to the leader that you just told me you were. And it got really silent. Actually, it sounded a little bit like this. And he said, Maji, a negative 12. And I said, why? And then he started going on and on about everything that he did wrong. I didn't do this and I didn't do this and they did this and they did that and this didn't work and that didn't work. And I felt his energy spinning down the spiral. And I said, okay, are you done? And he said, yes, I'm done. And I said, so let me ask you a question. Let's say all that's true and you made all those mistakes. How do you feel about it? And again, this is what I heard. He said, I don't know what you mean. And I said, well, let me ask you this. When you think about the failure as a leader in that meeting, are you standing in a pool of shame or are you standing in a pool of enlightenment? Silence. And he said, well, Maji, I think I'm standing in shame. I think they hired the wrong guy. I think they're going to find out I'm a fraud. I'm letting everybody down. I said, so Keith, this is your key point right now, right now. You get to make a choice. Are you going to be a victim of your spin out thoughts or are you going to take responsibility to be the leader you created yourself as? And of course, he said, I want to take responsibility to be the leader I created myself as. And so today's a new day for Keith. But if he's human like you're human, and if you're promoting people, now they looked and looked and looked and looked, and the only person they could find that was the right values 
was a 40-year-old guy who never was a president before. He was a director of a region and a killer sales guy and a guy everybody loved, but he wasn't a president. And you are probably going to find similar situations in your organization because when you look at the demographics of who's available, we have a boatload of boomers and not so many and not so many Gen Xers. And then we have a boatload of millennials. But the gap is 50 million people shortage of people to take those next level roles. So it begins with you creating who you are as a leader and inviting everybody else that's partners and that's on the leadership team to create who they are as leaders. And then sharing that with the rest of the organization. So let's talk about who's in the workforce. Just want to check. Can you all see the, the, the slides? Can you just give me a thumbs up if you can see the slides? Great. Thank you. So who's in the workforce? We've got the traditionalists. Those are people that were born between 1925 and 1945. There are still some of those people working. Then we've got the baby boomers, 25% of our workforce, 1946 to 1964. I'm at the end of the baby boomers. Then 33% of our workforce is Gen X, 1965 to 1980. But remember, there's 50 million fewer of those people. And many of them do not want to be in executive roles because the boomers didn't make it look so fun. Then we have the millennials, 35% of the workforce is millennial, 1981 to 2000. And then we have the Gen Z. So we have a pure shortage of people. You cannot manufacture people in the back room. You never could, but you especially can't do it now. Now, some people could manufacture robots to do their work for them, but not in leadership. You're not going to find robots leading people. So let's talk about the leadership tightrope that people are walking right now. 35, you guys will like this because it's a statistic. 35% of all people in management roles are engaged in their job, which means 65% are not. Only 35% of people managing people actually are engaged in doing that. Only 18% of people in executive roles are confident that they have the ability to lead in chaos and crisis. Welcome COVID-19. No wonder everybody's in an amygdala hijack. And only 10% of the entire workforce feels ready to lead. Whether they have a master's degree, an MBA, whether they have all the best training on the books. It's what's on the inside. And so people are walking a tightrope. They are not sure they can do it. And so senior leadership, if you want to create a sustainable organization and have an exit strategy, you must pay attention to who are the future leaders of your organization and what's in their way. So it takes four things to lead in the 21st century, says me and my advisors and my trainers. EQ, IQ, CQ, and RQ. If we had more time, I'd have you take yourself off mic and, and uh, share what you think that might be. Emotional quotient, intellectual quotient, character quotient, and relationship quotient. 
You can see that any and all of those things are very important in your business. Emotional quotient. Can they take a licking and keep on ticking? The day the PPP is announced as out, that means hell's going to break loose. Can your people handle stress? Can they not only handle stress, can they come back home to their highest level of thinking when stress has taken them off track? IQ, do they have the intellectual quotient? Do they understand what to do? Do they understand what's needed? Do they understand your business? Can they process quickly? What's their, what's their critical thinking? And do they access what they need to know when they need to know it? Or are they so busy jumping into the drama and to get work done, do they not remember the very instructions they were given? When people are under stress, when they operate in a perpetual state of amygdala hijack, what I think I said, and if I didn't, I'll say it again. When the amygdala is releasing adrenaline and cortisol into the thinking brain, it dumbs people down. It makes them not use their common sense. It gets in the way. It acts as a guillotine, a cutoff from our critical thinking. So back to the EQ, the emotional quotient is critical. The intellectual quotient, then we have the character quotient. Do they do the right thing even when no one is looking? Do they make the right choices? Do they tell the truth? And when they accidentally fall down, do they pick themselves up and say, hey, I know I told you I was working that. I don't know what I was thinking. I haven't even started. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Or I know I'm 20 minutes late for this meeting and you said there was no longer going to be people showing up willy-nilly in meetings. I need to get better and I apologize. Do they clean up when they make a mistake? Do they own it? Do they take responsibility? Now I wanna go back to Keith. Keith has grown up in an environment where being responsible and being accountable meant making himself wrong. So if Keith isn't on top of it, Keith may have some challenges with character because if you sink so far deep into the pool of shame, you will cover up mistakes and not even know you've done it. And then you've got a character issue. So Keith is smart. He makes all of his coaching calls. He asked for extra coaching calls. He knew things were going off the rails, which is why he had me in that meeting yesterday. And that's what I said to him. I said, stop beating yourself up. You're, you're wise enough to say, coach, get in on the meeting and tell me what's happening. That was intuition. That was intelligence. That was being a leader. So what that you're making mistakes? You'll fix those mistakes, no problem. And you inherited a team that was never developed. They never had any leadership training for any of those people. And they promoted many people to their highest level of incompetence. So even the CFO doesn't even know how to balance numbers and shows up at a budget meeting with no numbers. They're, they'd be a good candidate for you guys to help one of you guys. So relationship quotient. This is how well we build relationships, how well we maintain relationships, how well we repair relationships when we have a problem. Do we get over it? Do we clean it up? Cleaning it up is a big piece in being a 21st century leader. But how do we create relationships? Do we, do we know how to do that? Do we get on these 
calls for this organization and affiliate with people and connect with people inside and outside of the organization? How about relationships with customers? Are we working at keeping those relationships solid? And when we don't return calls or don't follow up with people, do we clean that up? So IQ, CQ, RQ, and EQ, very important to leading in the 21st century. Succession planning, what is your plan? How are you promoting? How are you identifying next level leaders? Is it because they're really good at accounting? Is it because they're really good at tax planning? Or are they really good at leading people? Do they want to be good at leading people? Are they good at spotting opportunities? Are they good at innovation? Are they good at organizational improvement? All of those things you have to consider when you're thinking about succession planning. And even if you do take advantage of outside training, what are you doing to make sure that that training is making a difference in your organization? So the training my firm and my team just did with many of your folks, we gave them homework. They were supposed to come back to the leadership team and ask provocative questions. If they didn't do that, don't make them wrong. Just get curious. Hey, what'd you learn in that training? What can you bring to our organization from that training? How can we take advantage of that training? They were asking you things like, what are our strategic objectives? What's our mission and vision? What are our values? Should we be hiring people in the mind's eye of those values? How do we train for those values? That's all succession planning. All of it, all of it, all of it. All of it is succession planning. Next is building your team. Whether it's hiring, onboarding, training, accountability, performance management, development, what is your plan? And it begins, culture, by the way, begins with the first hello of your recruiting call. It even begins before that in the definition of the roles. Are they aligned with your organization? Do people know what's expected like we talked about before? Then when you recruit them, but what about when you're onboarding them? What's your development plan for onboarding? Not just to make sure they can do the work, but that they treat your customers in alignment with your value proposition. What are you doing for your future leaders? What are you doing for your emerging leaders? And what are you doing for your master's level leaders? There needs to be ongoing training and development. Because here's the thing, even if you have this, even if you stake the, the position, even if you say all of our people are awesome, they don't need any development, we're, we're there, we've arrived. Training opens up a new level of thinking that when you're not training, you're not experiencing. So if all you're doing is talking to clients and doing the work and heads down and watching the news occasionally or listening to the news or checking your phone because something's happening in, in Washington, you're going down the rabbit hole. But as soon as you bring in new knowledge and new exercises, you unlock pieces of the critical thinking and you create new neural pathways. Training is about creating novelty for people. And when people have novelty, they learn more than they were learning before. And it heightens the level of awareness. Also beyond masters emerging in future, what are you doing to create a culture of innovation? 
What are you doing to, to foster opportunity spotting and having people think about how is what's happening with COVID going to forever alter how we do accounting, how we interact with our customers, how we interact with our employees, how we hire. It's important that you think about that stuff. So ultimately go back to what is your future? What is it that you want to create for your future? What's your exit plan? What does it look like when you say bye-bye? What are you going to be doing? And for my life, I have it very carefully planned out. I actually created in the year 2000 what my life would look like in 2020. And I want you to know in the year 2000, I owned a recruiting firm. I lived in Illinois. I created my 2020 goals. And when I created my 2020 goals, I said, I live in Northern California and I lead mind, body, spirit retreats for CEOs committed to creating extraordinary organizations where they have a quality of life and they are the number one fan of the culture because the business is serving them. I was so far away from doing that in the year 2000. I mean, literally, 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 I was way back here and that was a vision, but that vision carried me through for 20 years and had me move to California and had me make significant life changes. Then when I started Keen Alignment, I created a vision for myself as a leader. And then I created core processes of how I wanted the business to work and core unique intellectual property of how I wanted to take companies through culture shift. I did that because it was the future that was calling me into be. So again, I ask you, do you have a future? And is it written down? Is it significant that you and everyone else in your organization knows it? Do you create that for people? Do you share that with people? Do you enroll them in the possibility of the future of the organization?